Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. And thank you for the peace that we have in you. Thank you for the joy that is our strength that we have found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the anointing that breaks every yoke. Thank you for using me today, Lord, to touch hearts and minds and to change lives, to offer the help that we are known for here at Grace and Truth Church. The acronym HELP to heal, empower, love, and prosper the body of Christ. And Lord, we offer that assistance to all who will come and all who will hear this message all around the world today and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Ezekiel chapter 34. Remember in the Old Testament a lot of times now that we have a new covenant in this church age of grace and truth. When we're reading the Old Covenant, a lot of times we're drawing great truths from the Old Covenant. God's way, God's will, His He has never changed, you know. He's changed the way that he deals with us now because Jesus has made a way, amen? But we can, we can see how he feels about things because he hasn't changed in that regard. The way he feels about sin, the way he feels about his people. And when we read about Israel, many times we can, we can put in the church. That's us now. And... In this particular case, I just want you to see the priests that he's talking about here. We're just going to put in light of, of preachers in the body of Christ. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the preachers. He said, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, uh, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. And types and shadows in the Old Covenant, and even some in the New, we know the wild beasts and scorpions and dragons and all those things are, are referring to demonic forces. The demons. If you look there, you see. He says here, the weak you have not strengthened. Where do Christians get their strength? Where does our power come from? The Holy Spirit, right? So there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The sick you have not healed. There's physical healing. The injured you have not bound up. That's Kairos, or inner healing, forgiveness. The stray you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. That's evangelism. Then he goes on to talk about how they have treated the the sheep. Hurting preachers hurt people. Amen. 
I just wanted to point out how God felt about that. Because in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes on the scene after 1,500 years of a lot of wayward preachers. He goes and he gets baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he's tempted by Satan. Every time he responds with the word of God. He resists Satan with the word of God and he leaves him. He returns. He goes back to his hometown, to his synagogue where he would go in growing up. And from time to time he would read from the scrolls. But this time it was different. Because this time Jesus was different. This time he had been anointed by God and he says so. In verses 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 4, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. All those things that God was against, the shepherds of Israel, all the things that they had been doing wrong, all the things that they had not been providing for the people of God, Jesus was anointed to come and take care of all that. To give us what we needed. To give us what God wanted Him to. Which is all good. Amen? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, doesn't it? From the Father of lights. In Him there's no shadow of turning. So we thank God that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ... And he offered this year of the Lord's favor, this acceptable year. This is pointing to the year of Jubilee that we talked about recently from Leviticus chapter 25. Every one year out of every 50 was the year of Jubilee and everybody would get all their stuff back. Everything that had been lost or taken or stolen or taken by debt, it would return to its original owner. And now... I talked about the fact that we have entered into a spiritual jubilee that is not once one year out of every 50. It's eternal for the children of God, for the Christians who have been born again, received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior to the exclusion of all others. Amen. And now there are spiritual laws governing God's actions. God set these laws in place and he does not like to intervene and to change them. God will work miracles, but it's not his preferred way of dealing with us, is it? Don't get me wrong. When you need a miracle, a miracle is good. (laughs) A miracle is perfect because, but the problem with a miracle is there has to be, there has to be a, a, a tragic circumstance. There has to be a great need. And God doesn't want us living from crisis to crisis, does He? He wants us to enter into the blessing that He died to provide us with. The blessed life. He said, I came that you would have life and have it more abundantly. But that doesn't stop the devil from coming to steal, kill, and destroy. 
while he's while we're in this world, this fallen world, the only protection that we have from the enemy is Jesus. And now, Jesus has all this power, this anointing to against and over the power of the devil, not the devil himself, but he has given this power to us as his church to to take care of all of the attempts of the devil to steal, kill, or destroy anything to do with us. We have authority over that. He gave us that in Luke chapter 10, verse 19. He sent the disciples. He said, I give you... Here, I'll just read it real quick. Just a couple of pages over. Luke 10... Verse uh, 19. Behold, this is Jesus speaking. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. You think they had a real scorpion and serpent problem in the day and he, they needed him to give them a power to, to uh, take care of, eradicate those insects and bugs and, and, and snakes. No, he's talking about demons, demonic forces. And over all the power of the enemy. See? And nothing shall hurt you. And then went on to say, this isn't a big deal. The big deal is that your names are written in heaven. That's who you are. Take pride in that. I'm a child of God. In that, you'll have confidence to operate in the power that he gave you and authority that he gave you to rule over the demonic forces. They're nothing compared to you. God has your picture in his wallet. You think you think some fallen angel is going to have more authority than you do? Don't you know that one day you will judge angels? You will judge the world with Jesus. Why wouldn't you have authority over the attempts of the enemy to come and wreak havoc in your life? Well, you do, is the simple answer. Last week, we, we were talking about the fact that Jesus has given us this authority. And now, God has told us, Isaiah 45, 11, Command ye me concerning my sons and the work of my hands. In other words, use your authority. Command God in the sense that we command... We operate within all of the spiritual laws that he has set in place for our benefit to do so. But people are dying. People are sick. People are in poverty. People are in bitterness. People are in strife. People are getting divorced. Same rate in the churches in the world. And why? Because they don't understand the things that we're trying to learn here. They don't understand... The spiritual laws that God has set in place for our benefit and how to operate. And God says, because of this, my, my people are perishing for a lack of knowledge, for a lack of knowing me, for a lack of understanding my will and my ways and living the life of faith that I've called them to. As we begin to dig into these spiritual laws, just like they're natural laws. We use gravity as a great example all the time. We don't get mad at God 
when someone steps off a 10-story building to their death. Even though God is the one who created gravity, we understand that it's something we have in place for our benefit. And we have to learn to cooperate with it, otherwise it can be harmful. The same with the spiritual laws. And we were looking at the sin of discouragement, the sin of self-pity last week. Because they said, beware of this sin in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. Beware of this sin, lest you be discouraged. And so, we don't want to be discouraged. We don't want to be involved in self-pity because we learned that it's 100% of the time counterproductive. I know people that are older than me that as long as I've known them, and some of them 50 years, they have not come to understand that the life of self-pity and victimization that they live, identifying as a victim and always in self-pity, always feeling sorry for themselves, they don't understand that that is what has brought on the terrible life that they have now. They never came to realize that it was always counterproductive for them to be the way that they are and to never own any of their own problems, to never be thankful, to never just be grateful in the midst of adversity, to look and find the good thing instead of always the bad. They didn't understand that by speaking everything negative that they always saw, they always had what they said. And we don't want to be like that. We saw how how counterproductive it was for Cain when he killed his brother Abel. When God was very reasonable with him, he says, Why are you why are you why is your face cast down? In other words, why are you discouraged? Why are you feeling sorry for yourself? If you had done like your brother, wouldn't I have commended you? In other words, if you go and do right, I'm going to still do good to you. But he didn't take it in a positive way. He was unable to receive that positive correction. And instead, he went and killed his brother. Because he was jealous and angry at him for doing good when he had not. And he was embarrassed and ashamed. And he took it out in a very destructive way. I want to look at one more story like that. And then I want to look at the opposite. In Genesis chapter 25. In Genesis chapter 25, we... uh, have the story of Jacob and Esau, who were brothers... They were twins. They came from Jacob and Rebekah, which is a love story that I love to preach about. But Mama became a little bit devious when she was in her old age. She arranged some of this stuff along with Jacob, who was a trickster. But I like to 
remind me, and I'll I'll minister out of Genesis chapter 24 one day, which is a, the entire chapter is a self-portrait of the author of this book, the Holy Spirit. And it tells the story of Isaac and Rebekah. Nevertheless, today, Genesis chapter 25, look at verse uh, 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel and Aramean of Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban the Aramean to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. That's a picture in type and shadow of the two covenants of God. Later on, God says, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. He's talking about Esau would be representative of the law coming from Mount Sinai for 1,500 years. The people of God tried and failed to satisfy God by living up to his holy standard only to realize that it can't be done. Jesus came and did it for us. So he's the, he is a picture, Jacob is a picture of the Lord Jesus and the new covenant of grace and truth. You see that the day that the law was given at the foot of Mount Sinai, 3,000 people were killed. When the first tablets were destroyed. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the church. One represents death, the other life. Not that the law is ungodly, it's perfect. But without grace, it's impossible. So, nevertheless, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his head like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, His name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and 
sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. If you go on and on about this story, but Esau, I'm starving to death, basically. I'm starving to death. Give me some food. Sell me your inheritance. What good's that to me if I die from starvation? Sure. He just took it with a grain of salt. He took it with a grain of salt and he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup to his brother who was a trickster and a swindler before he was changed by God. But there's Esau. He had everything, basically Abraham's fortune that came to his son Isaac and now, you know, it would have been Esau's. And he was willing to just blow it off in a casual conversation. He really didn't think it would happen. But he shouldn't have said it. Our words are powerful. Our words are very powerful. We need to say what we mean and mean what we say. We need our yes be yes and our no be no. Don't make vows. God says that's a sin. He said, what are you going to swear by? Who are you going to swear by? <laughs> Just say yes or no. And if that's what you live by and you're a man of your word, people will know that. You don't see it much in our culture. And it's sad. People say, I'll be here this such and such a time. It's basically a guideline now. It used to mean they would be there five minutes before that. <laughs> Tamana still is. He's there 15 minutes early. My mom, she would be at the airport two or three hours early. <laughs> Esau was full of self-pity. He sold his birthright. He exaggerated his problems, didn't he? Mm -hmm. It wasn't that big a deal. He wasn't starving to death. No. They would have had to feed him. If it had been that bad, they'd have found him in the field and taken care of him. Mm -hmm. He was exaggerating his problems to get a quick and easy solution. To get things how he wanted, when he wanted, without considering the consequences. Yeah. Instant gratification. I'll worry about the consequences later. And this has destroyed many millions of people's lives, whether they want to admit it or not. Or whether they live to admit it or not. Marriages, businesses, fortunes, relationships, all destroyed for this Entitlement, this sense of urgency, this quick, instant gratification, this self-pity that is so unnecessary if we just exercise a little bit of self-discipline and trust in God who says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, look at the birds, all the sparrows. God, one of them doesn't fall to the ground without God knowing it. How much more important are you? He knows all the hairs on your head. I still have some. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. 
Let's look at the opposite. Go back to the fourth to the twenty second chapter. Just a couple pages back. Although I want to say, let's see, what did it say? Isaac was sixty years old when uh, Jacob and Esau were born. Isn't that what it just said when we were reading? So here he is with his father Abraham in the story we're about to share. And I want to say he's 17 years old. So 43 years earlier. Strong young man with his dad who would have been 117. Abraham. Amen. Because he was 100 when Isaac was born. The child of promise, wasn't he? So, let's see. I want to read this. Chapter 22. Starting. Let's just start reading at the first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son. Your only son, Isaac. Now, He had another son, didn't he? Let me show you how God thinks. God had promised Isaac and, I mean, Abraham and Sarah a child, right? Told him he'd give him multitudes of offspring from that child of promise. Sarah and Abraham got tired of waiting on God. Thought they'd help him out. Sent in her maidservant, and they had a baby, and his name was Ishmael, didn't he? So Abraham had a boy, had another kid. Name was Ishmael. But God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac. It's the only one God recognized. Because it wasn't part of God's plan. That wasn't purpose. That wasn't what God had told him to do, so he didn't even recognize their attempts. Take your only son Isaac, also type in shadow. Type in shadow, remember that. Your only son, what does that remind you of? Hmm? Jesus. Whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. On one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, listen to this, stay here with the donkey And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Got that? Mm -hmm. He told the two men that worked for him, you stay here. Isaac and I are going to go over there and worship and we'll be back. We will be back. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. 
And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they had came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, or Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Praise God. You know, there's a huge difference in Abraham's behavior and Esau's, wasn't there? Abraham acted in faith. Amazing faith. Great faith, I think it's fair to call it. Why do I say that? Hebrews chapter 11, verse nine, verse 8. This great faith chapter, the hall of faith, they call it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place... That he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise. As in a foreign land living in tents. And with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him. And the same promise for as he was looking forward to the city. That has foundations those designed and built builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even then she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth The part I was trying to get to is it starts in verse 17. I forgot they had Abraham's faith listed in two sections. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The point here 
people say, you hear people say, oh, I've heard stories, I've seen movies and, and uh, these depictions of Abraham agonizing over this decision to have to, to kill Isaac, to offer him as a sacrifice, who was his only son, his, his beloved son, the son of promise that God had promised him. And how he agonized and begged and pleaded with God not to, not to have to do this, but he was obedient anyway. No. The Bible doesn't reflect that at all, does it? All it ever shows us is Abraham's amazing faith. He told the young man, we're going over there and we're coming back. Yeah, he raised the knife. And that's when God, God saw his resolve. God looks at the heart, doesn't he? He knew he was about to do it. And that's when God stopped him because of his obedience. Because he knew he loved him and do, would do whatever he said. And then God provided the ram and the bush. But Abraham wasn't afraid then. He, knew, he, he was so filled with faith that he believed that even if he went through with it, God would, would give him back to him, would raise him from the dead. And he was right. Why do I know that? Because for the same reason I know that if we will get this message, if we will understand and walk in the faith that God has provided us with, we will have the same success that Jesus said we would. We will do even greater things than Jesus did because we have the Holy Ghost, because we have the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead inside of us. God had promised Abraham multitudes of children through Isaac and Isaac hadn't had any children yet. George, I know how you love and you cling to words of prophecy that are spoken over you. Look at this. Look at this. Look how confident Abraham was because a word, a promise from God. And so he wasn't even this, he wasn't even considering that anything else would happen. Our friend Andrew Womack. He has a son that was dead for five hours in the morgue, in, on the slab with the toe tag on, and he's alive today. Nothing wrong with him. The same reason, because on their way to Colorado Springs, was about an hour drive, I think he says, he and Jamie were not, they would not let fear and discouragement come upon them. And God, again, what does it say, the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, it's good that I go away because my Father will send the Holy Spirit. He'll remind you of everything that I have said. And, and Andrew began to recall when he was over in Ireland, some man of God had prophesied who did not know him about his two sons and what they would grow up to do and to be. And this had not happened yet. And, Abra and, and, and Andrew claimed that and he began to laugh and to, and to praise God and he shared it with Jamie and they just stayed in faith and when they got there, he was alive. 
It's the same thing. It's the same spiritual law that they were operating in that Abraham was. You see? Abraham knew that God would not lie to him. And I'm telling you, if we will do what Abraham did, if we will focus on the promises of God, we will have faith for the results from God. That's the key. We have to understand this principle and we have to believe it and we have to practice it. Just like the beautiful gift that we saw from Mia Mia today with her singing. You know that gift is going to get more and more beautiful the more she practices it. That's the truth, isn't it? And we have to understand that we are all gardeners And we are all builders in the kingdom of God. We are gardeners because everything that he has put into our care as stewards, whether it be physical or spiritual, is all in seed form. And we are planting every day. We are planting, planting, planting. We are Offering up seeds of encouragement, of love, or of hate, bitterness, right? It's our choice, isn't it? God isn't going to stop us. He wants us to create for Him because we're not only gardeners, but we're builders. God wants us to create for Him. He wants us to speak out of the fruit of the Spirit of God which is in us. Which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In ever increasing number, he wants us to plant seeds from those things. If the devil can get us to, he'll get us to do some creating for him too. Because we are the creative beings, not him. Not his demons. They have no authority less what we give them. And we do it. Just like God did by speaking from the abundance of the heart. The heart is the garden of the Christian. And from that garden, it, it grows up and bears fruit. Right? And from that garden, we, we draw. And from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And there go those seeds. And so we have to understand that we are builders, we're gardeners, and we need to protect and nurture. We need to take it serious that we are children of God and this great power and authority that we have. And the fact that it's not instant gratification, it's not instant destruction, so we're not afraid of it. Just like so many Christians get up off their knees from praying and say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Because <laughs> He didn't send a lightning bolt right then. And we understand now that there's time in the spiritual realm. That everything that we pray according to God's will, the answer is yes. 
And we can hinder the manifestation of that wonderful thing by negativity, by unbelief, doubt, discouragement, etc. Amen? Self-pity. Eleven times in Genesis, this chapter, that we, this book that we've been reading from this morning. Eleven times in the first chapter of this Bible, God, it is recorded that God speaks things into existence. And He created us in His image. Amen. Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to cut you loose. Y'all getting this today? Mark chapter 11. Jesus speaking, teaching. The Bible talks a lot more about Jesus teaching than preaching. He did both. But he talks about him teaching twice as much as he did preaching. And that's what he's calling the servants of God to today. As is reflected in Ezekiel chapter 34. God does not like it when ministers do not feed the the sheep, his children. And and teach them and disciple them and help them to be strong in the word. To be strong in their authority as children of God. And that's what we're trying to do here. To be helped to receive the healing, the empowerment, the love and prosperity that God has for us so that we can help others in return. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 11, go down to verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, talking about Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now go down to verse 20, 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him, have faith in God. <laughs> look at that. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Talking about spiritual laws. This is the law of confession. I'm not talking about going to a confession booth and telling your sins to some man. I'm talking about confessing, speaking, speaking faith. Faith-filled words from your heart regarding the promises of God. Building and framing your life and those around you 
with good things. Edification, building up. This law of confession is in, <clears throat> in play in your life. And ignoring it will just cause you to fail at it. Acting like it doesn't exist. How many people do you know that say, Oh, I didn't mean it. I was just kidding. Oh, come on. You know? And fine, it's good that they were just kidding if they were. But it's still important that we realize that once we let those seeds loose, we either have to go back to God and believe for some crop failure, dig them up, repent, or expect a harvest from those seeds, don't we? Have you seen the, 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 the test where they had the two jars of rice, freshly cooked rice, and on one jar they put they write the note and tape it that says you're ugly, you're terrible rice, you're no good, you're nothing. And on the other jar of fresh rice they put you are beautiful and you are wonderful and healthy and, be- and, and good. And then days go by and the one jar turns to corruption, black and moldy and nasty, and the other one stays fresh as the daisy. This is true. Just think what it does to a, to a child. Just think what it does to a spouse. Just think what it does to an employee or a co-worker or someone struggling with issues or... You know, maybe a debilitating disease or deformity or something like that. It sure doesn't help to say ugly things. We know that. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. So, see, that proves the point that I'm saying there is a harvest from our words. Eating the fruit thereof is is death and life. Death or life. Today God has set before us death or life. Choose. He says choose you this day. Which, which one? And I think the good answer of course is choose life. Everything has a, a positive or a negative impact. And we need to realize that we are affecting our future with our words today. Amen? This is a real thing. And if we will believe it and walk in it and teach others to do the same, we will see our lives begin to prosper better. And those that we help with the same issue will see them prosper in in many ways as well. Psalm 141 Verse 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. And I think that's a good prayer. Because we can all think of somebody who needs this message. But but God's saying, I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to talk to me about you. And then go about being a light. Being the light. Letting the light be seen that I have placed in you, which is me, in you, the hope of glory. People need Jesus today more than ever before. And people are dying all around us.
people are wrong-minded. They're being taught wrong. They're being taught wrong in our educational system. They're being taught wrong in the media. They're being taught wrong in our entertainment industry. They're being taught wrong everywhere you look. And the only solution is Jesus. I was so glad this weekend to see a million people turn out for the march uh, the, on life, for life, you know. And, uh, and you see, though, that there wasn't a lot of reporting on the news about that. But what they did report on was the other demonic march, you know. And uh, even though there was just small groups all around the country, very small groups, but they have a way of making them look large, you know. And then there's a real, a real wonderful, godly thing happening in Washington, a million people, and they don't even put that on most of the networks. You see what we're dealing with. If people would really realize that everything you see, everywhere you look, and everything you hear, there is a spiritual operation taking place. Either the devil has control or authority in those people's lives, or God does. There's a spiritual war going on. And now, you know, it, it doesn't help to walk up to saying, oh, you're full of the devil. They don't know that. Right. And the things that we know are foolishness to them that are perishing. The message of the cross is foolishness to them. But we're going to keep trying to help. We're going to keep preaching the gospel because the, the message of the cross of Jesus Christ dying for their sins and that he wants them. He wants all of them to repent and be saved is, is real. And we don't know who will respond positively to it, but we know some will. And if you get to heaven and there's just one person there that says, I'm here because you came and shared the gospel with me, it'll all be worth it. It doesn't matter how much rejection we face in this life. If we just affect some, I'll never forget Jesus walking with me in a dream across a familiar area from my childhood and I he was taking me home and we were walking across this courtyard and I looked back and there was a group of people maybe 20-30 feet away and and they were all looking like you guys are but there was just more you know and they were like what about us you know they had a longing look they, they were like sheep without a shepherd And my, my heart broke for them. And I asked the Lord, what about them? And he didn't say anything. But what he said, without saying anything, was if you don't, because I had been fighting with him, arguing with him about having to be a preacher. <laughs> In other words, if you don't, they won't. If you don't, they won't be coming with us. And so, after that, the choice was easy. Amen. Amen. Did, the, did he bless you today? Yes. You know he loves you? Yes. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, the peace of your word, the power of your word working in us. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to protect this word, the seed of this word, and Allow it to take root and bear fruit in our lives that we be helped and help others. We love you, Father. We thank you for loving us and for giving us your only Son, Jesus.
We thank you, Lord, that you did go through with it. We thank you, Lord, that you did go through with it for us. And we love you for it, for providing a way for us back to you through your son, Jesus. Amen.